What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Sask Egg Today is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner. Sask Egg Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to SaskAg Today. Coming up on today's program, we'll hear from the Chief Agricultural Editor of SaskAgToday.com, Kevin Hirsch, on a number of items that have been going on in agriculture over the past week. It's also day two of Canadian Western Agribition in Regina. Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan has a presence there. We'll hear from them. Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture has provided his weekly overview of the wheat market, so we'll have that for you as well. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of SaskAg Today. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your REMAX Blue Chip Ag Division Special. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. The Chief Agricultural Editor of SaskAgToday.com wants to see Bill C-234 passed in the Senate. Kevin Hirsch says producers who use propane or natural gas to dry grain or heat and cool barns and greenhouses could use some relief from the federal carbon tax now. It's been a, been a long time in, in the making, this bill, to take the, the carbon tax off natural gas uh, and propane for drying grain and for heating and cooling livestock barns. Uh, it, it's, you'd think it would be such an... If you're going to eventually pass it, uh, and, and the Liberals uh, uh, or Liberal-leaning senators are supposedly independent, but uh, independent Liberals might be the best way to talk about it in the Senate doing this filibustering, I can't see how they can perceive this as being popular in the ag community when uh, so many, uh, all, virtually all farm groups are behind this. He says the carbon tax break for Atlantic Canadians has brought this private member's bill to the forefront. It's almost like the apex of the whole debate about carbon tax generally, and this seems to be the, you know, the, the slippery slope when they, they took uh, carbon tax off heating fuel, uh, heating oil in Atlantic Canada, and, and the calls reverberated across the country for uh, parallel uh, removal of carbon tax over other heating methods such as natural gas. This has sort of got caught up in the, that whole fight or that whole movement, I think. But Hirsch doesn't think Bill C-234 will spell the beginning of the end of the federal carbon tax. It'll be interesting to see. I, I, I think it would be very difficult for the Liberals to back away from the carbon tax, but I, I really perceive that they're... That, uh, 
the conservative position of axe the tax, uh, which wasn't the, their their uh, position going into the last federal election. They had invented some other method of doing the carbon tax, but not as simple as axe the tax. But I think with inflation and the cost of food and the cost of housing and high interest rates that Canadians have changed their opinion. And, and even though that many, many Canadians uh, support climate action, I think that there, there's a feeling that a carbon tax has not been a very effective way of accomplishing it. On another topic, canola futures have gone up in recent days. Hirsch comments on that. I've seen some analysis that suggests uh, you know, canola and soybeans tend to follow each other in, in a rough manner, but that canola is at uh, a historically large discount to soybeans right now. Now, what that means uh, for the future of, of the price, I'm not sure. There's also a great number of the hedge funds that are short canola, playing short, uh, betting that it's going to go even lower. Um, but on the other hand, crush margins are, are very healthy. Crush plants are, are going full bore ahead. So it, it's hard to know where this is all going to shake out. But certainly as a as a huge commodity in the prairie region, this is uh, really something producers follow with great interest. Also, on, on a few, couple of other fronts, uh, there are, you know, a few uh, new crop contract prices out. Uh, had a, a sniff of a little bit of uh, business being done on some brown mustard and also some large green lentils that are in high demand and high price. There are some uh, contract prices now starting to come out on that. So this is the season between now all the way into early to mid-January when a lot of the new crop uh, contract prices become available. He says he doesn't have much canola to sell himself after this year's poor harvest in southwestern Saskatchewan. I've got uh, some canola, not usually a canola grower, but I grew some canola with very bad yields last year, and some of that is actually in storage at a terminal, and some of it's in the bin, and I don't have any wheat on the farm, haven't grown wheat or durum in a few years, so I'm a a bit of an anomaly. The only thing really that is on the farm is a seed for the upcoming year on canary seed and chickpeas and also uh, it's all uh, contracted but hasn't moved yet uh, uh, quite a quantity of brown mustard so I'm more of a specialty crop grower and canola was the one-off last year that uh, I did grow some canola. Hirsch was pleased to see Ottawa announced nine million dollars in funding to the Canola Council of Canada for canola research last week but he isn't getting his hopes up. Yeah, there's these clusters in, and you know the government likes to take a bow and make the big announcement. But the the cluster funding is, you know, is, follows a firm set of rules and is administered by by bureaucrats. And there's a canola cluster uh, that has a bunch of the canola interests involved. Uh, there's wheat. There's agronomy. There's pulse crop cluster. There's a diverse field crop cluster for some of the more minor acreage specialty crops. And this is a major source of funding for them. But uh, you know, hidden in an announcement like this, nobody wants to complain at the time the money is announced. But cluster funding has been skewed quite a bit, so that a lot of the projects have to do with 
uh, greenhouse gas mitigation. And if you don't meet the targets for how many research projects and how many dollars your cluster is doing towards greenhouse gas mitigation, you don't get the, the, the funding approved. And many, in many cases, uh, funding for variety development has been something that clusters are now less and less willing uh, to fund. So always good news when research money is announced and uh, research projects get funded. But behind the scenes in all of these clusters, there is some consternation. He's also happy to see Ducks Unlimited Canada and Farm Credit Canada working together to take marginal farmland out of production with financial incentive programs. Certainly there's a, there's a number of initiatives for that and in many cases it makes great sense. Where it's difficult, and, and I see it in, in my own fields, is where the uh, unproductive marginal land, often saline patches, are out in the middle of a field and then how do you partition those acres out of the main field without making it very difficult to farm. But on fields where the marginal patches are along edges or borders or can be clearly cut off from main fields, I think it just makes so much great sense not to be pouring a whole bunch of production assets into ground that's not going to uh, produce under annual crops and would be much better under forage. And if it's saline ground, much better under saline tolerant forage crops. And Hirsch expects this week's Canadian Western Agribition in Regina to be another huge success. It's great. It's a great uh, bringing of people together, especially the the purebred cattle industry. We tend to forget with all the entertainment events that this really is the uh, a showcase for the purebred cattle industry, and you know thousands of, of of head of purebred livestock there that are the the breeding stock for for the commercial herds a little further down the line. So a great place for the the, the cattle industry for sure, for sure. Kevin Hirsch is the chief agricultural editor of saskagtoday.com. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, Ag Review. The large managed money short position in canola futures dipped slightly during the week ended November 14th as speculators bought back some of their bearish bets. That's according to the latest Commitments of Traders report from the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission. As of November 14th, the net managed money short position in canola futures came in at 98,129 a decrease of about 4,750 from the previous week. Open interest in the canola market came in at 278,586 contracts, which was up by 3,151 on the week. At the Chicago Board of Trade, fund traders added 24,000 contracts to their net long positions in soybeans, taking it to roughly 95,300 contracts. Farmer's Edge majority shareholder is looking to buy the remaining shares of the digital agriculture company for a small fraction of the value of the company when it went public less than three years ago. Fairfax Financial Holdings, which holds a 61% stake in Farmer's Edge, has made a non-binding offer to purchase the remaining shares at 25 cents Canadian apiece. Nearly a 99% drop from the $17 per share price at the company's initial public offering 
in March of 2021. The Farmers Edge Board has formed a special committee to evaluate the offer and explore potential alternatives, including keeping the status quo. The company says it doesn't expect to make any further public comments unless this committee approves a specific action. Farmers Edge was founded as an agronomic service business in Pilot Mound, Manitoba in 2005 and grew into a multinational digital agriculture company providing sensor technology aimed at helping farmers make decisions on more than 20 million acres of farmland in more than half a dozen countries. Farmers Edge announced a third quarter loss of $17.9 million earlier this month, down from a $21.1 million net loss during the same quarter last year. A new report for the Canadian Agri-Food Policy Institute seeks to educate policymakers about the impact of animal agriculture on economic, social and environmental levels. The report delves into the issues surrounding cattle, dairy and poultry production in the country and how it's interconnected within various factors in day-to-day life of residents. Al Mussel, their director of research, says animal agriculture is extremely important in Canada. He says it's extremely important from an economic growth perspective, but it's particularly important regionally in rural areas that otherwise would not have the same levels of employment and levels of income in local communities. It's also an industry that's built on using farming byproducts to increase the value of animals. The report also highlights that Canada has some of the lowest CO2 emissions from the production of pork and beef, outclassing Western Europe, South America and Australia. Funding is now available for agriculture operations in PEI that are still dealing with rebuilding costs following post-tropical storm Fiona last fall. The Prince Edward Island Agriculture Fiona Recovery Fund is open to agricultural operations that experienced significant infrastructure damage on insured assets and were not able to fully rebuild through previous disaster relief programs. The program is available through an $8.5 million investment from Ottawa through the Atlantic Canadian Opportunities Agency. It will be administered by the PEI Department of Agriculture. Crop production products maker FMC Corporation has launched a strategic review of its non-core assets including a potential sale of its non-crop business. A slowdown in demand for herbicide and pesticides, as well as excess inventories, had resulted in large destocking in South America, denting the U.S.-based company's earnings for much of the year. The company also provided its preliminary 2024 revenue forecast last Thursday. FMC expects revenue in the range of $4.65 billion to $4.85 billion U.S., compared with analysts' estimate of $4.7 billion, according to data. FMC expects 2026 revenue between $5.5 billion and $6 billion U.S. And be sure to listen to the latest SaskAg Today podcast. It's brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. It's time now to check in once again with Tanya Cherry. Thank you, Doug. We're just taking a quick look at the GX94 radio auction and lot number 282. So 
do you need to replace the door that you have on your quonset right now? Are you building a really, really big shop? Do you need a new spot for your combines? Whatever you need, right? Massive, huge. Okay. This is really cool because ZipperLock Building Company has a voucher towards a power lift door and a customizable power lift door. So whatever size you need, they will make it for you. That is awesome. It's a $15,000 voucher that you can bid on, lot number 282. Right now, the current bid is $5,100. So I'm not good at math, but I think that's like 60% off if the person wins this item. Check it out. Bidding starts to close tonight. You can do the bid up to put it in there so that you don't have to be on your computer the entire time. And you'll get a notification if you get outbid so you can go on and bid again. And yeah, it's really easy to do. And to get a power lift door from Zipper Lock for it could go for 50 percent off tonight. You cannot beat that. That's lot number 282 with our GX94 radio auction. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for December are trading at 175.05 this hour. That's down 42. February live cattle trading at 175.92, down 72. January feeder cattle trading at 228.82, down 102. March feeder cattle trading at 231.57, down 72. December lean hogs trading at 68.62, down 172. February lean hogs trading at 72.72, down to 32. And that's the livestock market conditions. Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture has provided his weekly overview of the wheat market. It was issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. U.S. wheat futures closed lower last week as U.S. sales were slow and the rest of the grain complex was weak. As far as some of the most important news that happened last week, the International Grains Council produced their November grain market report. Production was said to be higher in the EU, Ukraine, Russia, and Turkey as they lifted global wheat production by 2 million tons. Higher production in these regions offset smaller crops in Argentina. Australia's crop was left unchanged at 24.4 million tons, and we'll talk that, about that a little bit more in the Australia grain wheat section. Global trade was reduced by the International Grains Council by 1 million tons, as larger exports from Russia and Ukraine were countered by smaller exports from the EU and Argentina. Global wheat ending stocks were raised by 1 million tons from last month, driven by higher supplies in the EU and the US. US imports were raised by 300,000 tons, while use was reduced by 100,000 tons. Carryover stocks were reported by the International Grains Council at 264 million tons, compared to 281 million tons last year. And we'll move on to each of the major wheat exporters. We'll start in Canada, where weekly Canadian wheat exports in shipping week 15 were slower than the previous week at 313,000 tons. Total wheat exports from Canada are now just about 6 million tons, 5.8 million tons to be precise, 
which is 5% ahead of last year compared to our expectation for a 9% decrease from last year. Producer deliveries continue to be rapid, with another 510,000 tons of wheat being delivered into the elevator system. Domestic use was reported to be big as well, at 160,500 tons in the week, which brings the season total to 2 million tons, up 60% from last year. Ending stocks, although slightly, I mean visible supplies, although only slightly bigger than last week, remain large at 2.8 million tons. For Durham, we'll briefly mention some of the Tunisian Durham tenders that happened last week. Tunisia bought 50,000 tons of Durham at $445 per ton, and then they issued a second tender on Friday and bought another 25,000 tons of Durham. Offers at the Friday tender were said to be $426 per ton to $429 per ton. The purchases were financed through the African Development Bank and excluded non-African Development Bank members, i.e. no Russia, Ukraine, or Kazakhstan was allowed to give offers. At the purchased price, or at least their initial purchase price of 425,000 tons on a SIF basis, we calculate this to be about $12.5 to $13 a bushel Canadian at the elevator in Saskatchewan, depending on the direction of shipment. Traded prices were about $7 per ton higher on a CNF basis than Algeria's tender in July. If Canada made the sale, more expensive ocean freight, which was about $10 a ton higher, but a weaker Canadian dollar would mean the price was about Canadian dollars $523 per ton. FOB Vancouver, so that would be about $15 per ton higher than the last public tender that Canada sold in July. Continuing on with Durham, North Africa is benefiting from some of the rain that is plaguing parts of Europe. Rain is falling on some of the Durham-growing regions of Morocco, Tunisia, and Algeria, where drought conditions have largely persisted over the past two growing seasons. Planting in northwest Africa usually happens in October through January, depending on when the rain comes. For the weekly exports, Canadian Durham exports in week 15 were better at 104.4 thousand tons. This makes for a season total of 821.3 thousand tons, down 24% from last year. In Italy, vessel data is showing Durham imports from Turkey are slowing, while imports from Canada are growing. The first Panamax with Durham from Vancouver is scheduled to arrive next week. So to just put a bow on Durham, it seems like the recent export activity confirms that Russia and Turkey are slowing exports. Uh, and we hear of some, and I quote, specials at some elevators last week. We'd prefer to be about 80% sold at $13 a bushel. All right, over to the U.S. The U.S. winter wheat crop is 93% planted as of Monday. 81% of the crop has emerged, and condition ratings fell about 3 points from last week to 47%, good to excellent. Kansas and some of the surrounding states were drier last week. Current crop conditions are 14 bush points better than last year. U.S. export sales were disappointing at 176,000 tons. 
Total commitments are now 437 million bushels, which is down 7% from last year, but still slightly ahead of the USDA's expected 8% decline. Sales will need to be approximately 6.8 bushels per week for the remainder of the season to meet the USDA's number, so we need a little bit better than 180,000 tons per week to be sold. U.S. exports, so the actual wheat movement, however, are improving as levels on the Mississippi River have improved. The barge movement is up by 26% from last week. The U.S. has missed its peak wheat export window, and now low water levels in the Panama Canal will cause issues for U.S. wheat bound for the Asian markets. In Australia, Drought and dry conditions have allowed harvest in Western Australia to progress rapidly. Expectations are for the harvest in the region to be largely finished by the end of December, which is well ahead of normal. Total grain production estimates are down 44% from last year's record 26 million ton crop at 15.5 million tons. Wheat specifically is supposed to account for about 7.9 million tons of this total, compared to the previous estimate of 8.1 million tons. It seems like production estimates in Australia's wheat crop are returning to the USDA's 24.5 million tons. And recall, I said the International Grains Council is also calling for a similar 24.4 million ton number. And over in Argentina, harvest progress in Argentina is running well ahead of last year. As harvest in Argentina reaches the 20% mark, Badge trimmed its wheat production forecast for the country by another 600,000 tons to 14.7 million tons, and I believe that is in line with what the International Greens Council is thinking as well. Average yields rose from 1.25 tons per hectare to 1.6 tons per hectare. This means to make the badge production estimate, the average yield for the remaining 80% of the crop needs to be double the current average yield at 3.2 tons per hectare. We shall see. In India, farmers in India are said to have planted 8.6 million hectares of wheat so far. This is down by about 5.5% from last year as the late rice harvest has delayed wheat seeding, although we suspect that they'll continue a little bit more planting progress coming up. In the EU, the French Ag Ministry, or FAM, is estimating that the French wheat ending stocks will be large at 3.1 million tons. This is the highest level since the 2017-18 crop year. In previous years with similar stock levels, EU wheat tended to trend lower from September through February. Rain seems to be moving out of France, which will aid seeding progress. Just 71% of the winter wheat crop has been seeded against 89% average. Good to excellent conditions fell 5 points to 86% good to excellent. This compares with 98% good to excellent last year. There are already estimates that the crop will fall short of last year by about 5 million tons. Similarly, estimates for have wheat area in the UK down by about 13% from last year. Smaller production in France and the UK will come against large ending stocks and strong conditions in Central and Eastern Europe. For the French Durham crop, rain has also hampered planting of Durham. 
Just 21% of the French Durham crop has been planted, compared to 70% last year and the average of 51%. Excess of rain in parts of Europe is delaying Durham seeding, but there are thoughts that Durham seeded area might actually increase as farmers switch to Durham from other crops because of its shorter growing season. We will wait and see. In the Black Sea, Ukraine has planted 91% of the expected 4.4 million hectares of wheat area. This compares to 4.5 million hectares last year. Russia is essentially done seeding their winter wheat crop. Officials say Russian farmers seeded winter crops on 3.7 million acres, more land than last year. But this estimate includes about an equal number of acres that's occupied Ukrainian land. Winter wheat was said to have risen the most at 41.5 million acres. Winter wheat would be about 9% more than last year. As far as some of the significant purchases and trades, we had a good number of tender business. We already mentioned the Tunisia Durham purchases of 50 and again 25,000 tons. South Korea bought 50,000 tons of Black Sea feed wheat and were said to have been back for another 115,000 tons of feed wheat on a private deal on Friday. Japan bought 105,000 tons of North American wheat. The Philippines bought 40,000 tons of Australian feed wheat. Jordan passed on its tender last week but is back tomorrow for 120,000 tons. And we already mentioned that U.S. weekly export sales were slow. As far as some of the other news that happened that's worth noting, uh, the funds reduced their net short in Minneapolis wheat, lightening their net short by 3,300 contracts to 27,726 contracts, a still a large net short. The Brazilian wheat crop was said to be 9.3 million tons, down from the 10.5 million tons in the previous outlooks. And the USDA attaché in Egypt is forecasting that wheat stocks in Egypt will fall to their lowest level in 20 years, as the country suffers from the impact of smaller crops, higher local demand, and restricted exports due to the Russia-Ukrainian war. Egyptian imports are expected to rise by 7% from last year to 12 million tons. Cumulative gas tenders today amount to about 5 to 5.5 million tons, but Egypt is going to need more credit to be an acceptable buyer. Finally, Ukraine says that about 150 ships have used the Black Sea trade corridor since its inception in August. The so-called humanitarian quarter travels along the western coast of the Black Sea near Romania and Bulgaria. As far as the outlook goes, it's going to be a short week this week as the U.S. is having their Thanksgiving holiday Thursday and Friday. Wheat may go lower while the EU needs to sell against the Russian competition, and we don't expect to see the funds change their course, although it was interesting to see them do some short covering last week. And the ongoing conflicts in Ukraine and Gaza are going to be points to watch. We do not expect to extend cash wheat sales until the new year. That's Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. Please stay tuned. Your commodities update is coming up right after these messages. Commodities Update. 
Canola futures are trading up across the board right now. January canola trading at 722.40, up $5.70. March canola trading at 726.40, up $6 per metric ton. December Minneapolis wheat trading at 716 per bushel, that's up eight and three quarters of a cent. December Kansas City wheat trading at 616 per bushel, up five and a half cents. December Chicago wheat trading at 551 and three quarters, up eight and a quarter cents. December corn trading at 469 and three quarters, up a quarter of a cent. January soybeans trading at 1372 uh, per bushel, that's up four and three quarters of a cent. December oats trading at 356 per bushel, up eight and three quarters of a cent. And that's the commodities update. Please stay tuned. Saskag today will return right after these messages. Future Ford has been serving the Melville area for over 30 years. They focus on the future. Their staff are ready for what's to come. Ford Tech is changing all the time with new vehicle technology like EV, self-driving, and more. Get ready to drive into the future. Why? Because the future is Future Ford. Farm Bulletin Board. It's day two of Canadian Western Agribition in Regina. Lots going on today, including a two-day grain expo at the Queensbury Convention Centre. The finals of the Canadian horse pulls in the lightweight, middleweight and heavyweight classes at the Brand Centre. And the BFO Canadian Grand Prix featuring freestyle bullfighting. Also at the Brand Centre is the Chore Team Competition Finals with the top six teams battling it out for the title. And it's also Bison Day at Agribition with various presentations on bison. It's now 1 o'clock. That means it's time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. A mix of sun and cloud, winds south-southwest at 10 to 15, and a high of plus 1 degree. For tonight, mainly cloudy, winds north-northeast at 10 to 20, a low of minus 4. For tomorrow, partly sunny, winds north-northeast at 15 to 30, the temperature falling to minus 8, a wind chill of minus 16, an overnight low of minus 14. For Thursday, sunny, winds northwest at 10 to 20, a high of minus 8. For Friday, sunny, a high of minus 5, and Saturday, a mix of sun and cloud, a high of minus 2. In the Paw, it's minus 6 degrees, Swan River is at minus 3, Dauphin minus 2, Brandon minus 1, Show Lake Russell minus 5, Roblin minus 4. Regina is reporting in at minus 1. Saskatoon, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, minus 2. Hudson Bay, minus 3. The Yorkton-Melville region has a mainly sunny sky. A west-southwest wind at 21 kilometers an hour. 43% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 2 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 8 degrees.
That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for SaskAg today for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. SaskAg Today has been brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner.